welcome to Wargaming Recon. I'm your host today, Josh, coming at you from the land down under again. I know, I said last time I would be back, and then guess what? I am back. Uh, Wargaming Recon is the only podcast at this present time to, I'm pretty sure, if I'm wrong... You can you can you can you can blame me, but I believe we are the only podcast to be both recorded in Australia and in Boston. I think that's where he's from. If I'm wrong, John, you can have a go at me, but that's okay. So today we are delving into a ni- nice number of things, actually. Uh, you yeah, know, basically just doing a bit of a hobby update. See where we're, where we're at, what we're what we've been doing. And also, I'm going to be reviewing, as I sort of precursed in my last uh, episode, a game called Oathmark. Now, Oathmark is one of my new favourite games that has just come out uh, in the last 12 months. Uh, It is mass fantasy, so there's plenty of things to talk about with it. Uh, And before we go into it, uh, I was going to do a bit of, as I said before, a hobby update. Now, uh, I have been doing quite a fair bit uh, of sort of behind the scenes stuff uh, with a few things. I've got another podcast uh, project that I've been working on, which I'll share more as uh, well, as things go forward. Uh, and I believe we're going to be having Jonathan come back with some new and exciting news on the future of Wargaming Recon, which will be great. Really excited to see that come out. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of really cool things happening, uh, not just on the hobby front, but with the podcast front, which is really cool, uh, especially uh, if you're a member of the Facebook uh, fan page for uh, Wargaming Recon, you'll see that John's been doing a lot of Lego building, a lot of, a lot of cool models coming out of his front. And I have to say, John, we miss you. You're doing great, and we want you to be happy. So please be happy with your Lego. Your Lego. <laughs> Your Lego. Sorry, that was just me being a bit weird. I have just come uh, off minimal sleep, so bear with me today, and I hope that you enjoy it. So, uh, on to the, today's main topic, and that is uh, Joseph A. McCulloch's Oathmark. Now, uh, for, for you who don't know who he is, we're going to we'll go a little bit of a bio on him. Uh, Joseph A. McCulloch is the author of several non-fiction books, including A Pocket History of Ireland, Zombies, A Hunter's Guide, and Dragon Slayers, From Beowulf to St. George. In addition, his fantasy short stories have appeared in various books and magazines, such as Blackgate, Lord of Swords, and Adventurer sorry, Adventure Mystery Tales. He is also the creator of Wargame, of the Wargame, I should say. This is this is big. He is also the creator of the Wargame Frostgrave and Fantasy Wargames in a Frozen City. I am stumbling over my words again. Uh, Frostgrave, Fantasy Wargames in the Frozen City, and he also co-wrote The Grey Mountains, a supplement for the Middle-Earth role-playing game. Uh, he has continued... So his continued ramblings can be read at, and there is a link here to a blog. It's called the Renaissance Troll.blogspot.co.uk, and that will be in the show notes for you guys to check out. Uh, so he, as I said, he's done a fair bit, and as of last year, he has released uh, a, a mass fantasy game called Oathmark. Now, what is Oathmark, you say? So, uh, 
Oathmark is a massive battle fantasy rule set that is not like any other mass battle fantasy rule sets that are currently out on the market today. Now, I, I'm, it is a very big, bold claim because uh, we all love our old, so Warhammer 8th edition, so square base or Kings of War, which is unit based or something like, uh, I, I know it's not really fantasy, but Hail Caesar, uh, there are fantasy elements you can add to that. But Oathmark really does take a massive heal. I'm going to be uh, referencing a couple of reviews that are on the internet today. And so it's a fantastic game for people who want to be able to do new role-playing, but not just role-playing with your army. You're role-playing your country. And you'll understand what I mean as I keep moving forward. Uh, so, where are we today? Okay. The rule mechanics of Oathmark. Very basic. The credit of this goes to, again, the game designer, Joseph McCulloch. Uh... And he used his thoughts on wargaming to write a mass fantasy battle system that, not in just my opinion, but many others, has succeeded very well. So he has changed conventions. He has definitely changed systems as well. Like how we, how you picture a, a fantasy battle game to go, this changes everything. It simplifies it. And it also uh, creates an air of, you know, it, it just flows really, really well on the table. Now, first of all, it is not an I go, you go system. Uh, it has alternate activations. So it plays much like, uh, you know, something like Star Wars Legion, where you activate a unit, then your um then your opponent activates the unit. So that's how it goes. So it's like, I'm going to activate a unit, you're going to activate a unit. Uh, so it doesn't have turn phases. Uh, an activated unit has two actions. It may move a little bit, or it can move a lot. So you can do two move actions. Uh, it could shoot, or it could charge into contact. And if it does so, a, a bilateral combat occurs immediately. Where, as in, both units are going to, they're going to battle. A little bit like Lord of the Rings strategy battle game in that regards, where you go in and you have an opportunity to uh, respond, so to speak. Uh, so activation rolls are do or don't affair. So if you, obviously I'm going to pick this unit, I'm going to roll, and you will have a, a, uh, a number that you need to beat. Obviously, like any any form of uh, command rolls that you would have seen back in uh, Warhammer or, or something like that. Or much like uh, bolt action in that regard, actually. A failed activation roll only limits your actions, but you're still unable to do things with that unit. So it really creates this tension. Like you need, and the thing that I, I know I'm rambling on this part. The thing that really makes this part interesting is that the more wounds that your unit takes, 
the fact that the um, the higher the penalty is going to be. So you could be rolling a, a D10, which I'll get to in a second, and you might need to get a five, but you've got all these penalties. You might need to get an eight or a nine in order to get a successful activation off. So, as I said, uh, Oathmark ditches Rick Priestley's law of only D6 games will sell and uses D10s. In fact, uh, you only have to use a maximum of five dice, which is something I thoroughly enjoy. It's a fact that I can... I'm not having to transport hundreds of dice, especially for me. I'm an undead player. I am used to throwing a lot of dice when I'm going into combat because I've got ranks of hundreds of skellies going in and doing what they're going to do. Skellies are awesome. So it makes it more... Again, it flows better. It does better. So uh, the rest of the mechanic seems relatively conventional. After that, uh, units have stats like move and fight. They need to roll minimum value to see things like activation rolls, as I said before, hits and rolls for morale, uh, and when taking casualties. Uh, now, in the first book, there are the traditional races such as dwarves, humans, orcs, and goblins. Now, uh, on that, there have been a couple of other uh, supplement books to come out, which enhance the way the game plays, such as uh, scenarios, uh, kingdom building, and uh, also they came out with one of the the only one that I actually own uh, personally, and that's Oathbreakers, where they introduced the undead uh, section of um, fantasy into this war game, which is really really cool. But we'll get into that a little bit more. This is this is like it's not when you're building, it's it's really cool. Uh, okay. So as I said before, uh, all rolls are achieved on a maximum of five dice, uh, never more. So five is your maximum. You can roll less, but you can't roll more than five. Uh, a die roll always causes an immediate result. So no hit to wound, to wound, to save consequences. Just a defense minus fight equal target number roll. A success is a hit. No buckets of dice here at all. Now onto my favorite, absolute favorite part of this particular game, the army building. This is the most brilliant way any game, in my opinion, has ever been uh, done when it comes to making your forces, aside from Star Wars Legion, and that's only because I like Star Wars and I like the Star Wars lore. Uh, I'm, yeah, <laughs> but anyway, uh, this is the cool part about this. So army bu building is done. Uh, there are two ways. First, you can traditionally choose a race and take units and the list of units of that race, uh, and some are unaligned ones. So, like, say, if you've got some uh, uh, mercenaries or something like that. All, all this is in, in the core rule set. Uh, units have a point value, and you can tailor battles to specific point values to balance things out. It's just like if you want to go off and, you know, just have a, you know, a face-off on a table in your kitchen. Alternatively, this is my favorite one. I love that word. Alternatively, you can build a kingdom with a capital of a specific race, but additional territories that enable you to field units from different races as well, while other races' territories are slightly more expensive to buy into your kingdom, you can take any, but not all. You can uh, only take uh, 10 territories of the 44 as you start your kingdom, and each territory gives you a specific unit of a specific race. For example, planes give you a human cavalry, 
uh, and uh, this person created a kingdom of Dale and Erebor uh, from the Hobbit using this particular uh, method. Now, I myself, I've decided to, with mine, I'm actually theming my kingdom around my last name and using heraldry uh, from you know, the Shoebridges, I've actually changed the name to the French translation. I've named the princes after my my two sons, and the king is named after me. And that is the, that is the start of my kingdom. And so I've got this RPG sort of style, what I'm going to do with this kingdom at the moment. So I have the humans, and the humans are going to be the main defense force of my kingdom. Whereas for my kingdom building and my expansion and invasion forces are going to be orcs. How cool is that? I have specific things for specific tasks. And that's the thing. If I, I know I'm going into a battle where I'm going to be the defender, I'm taking uh, a predominantly human-based army. Or a mixture of human-orc or full-orc led by human generals. That's how you wouldn't think you could do that, but you can. This is the amazing part of this game. The different differences in races are notable. Elves tend to be expensive and extremely disciplined in elite specialists uh, and very hard to break. Uh, well, we also have, uh, sorry, there, there isn't the number that you need to activate is, is never numerous. So you, you it's fairly, fairly easy to, uh, to activate. Uh, however, on the other side of it, there are goblins, they're brittle, undisciplined, mediocre, but they're a horde and they will go in and kill you. It is amazing what they can do. So you can create an army that excels in everything if you want an all-rounder. However, you can do whatever you want that suits your taste. That is the, it is an R. PG style kingdom building. You are creating literally your own source book. It is amazing. So there are multiple troop types. Not although not all races have all troop types, like several infantry types, spearmen, line breakers, and militia, cavalry, uh, artillery, and there is a list of aligned and unaligned monsters and creatures that you can either fight in small units or alone, such as massive freaking giants. You can take giants as a unit, and it's more than fine to do that. There is also uh, wizards and that sort of thing, but we'll get to that soon. Uh, now, this is where it gets really cool when it comes to the actual formation of your units. Uh, they are five, um, sorry, uh, five rows wide and one to four ranks deep. There, a unit is never bigger than twenty figures. Uh, bigger figures like trolls deploy in ranks of three or even alone. And uh, so, as I said, like giants, dragons, that sort of thing. They're um, they're they're the ones that are alone, sort of thing. Now, ranks give you bonuses. The interesting thing here when it comes to the actual way it works is acts as a unit, you remove your your model like Warhammer Fantasy, they count as a wound marker for that unit. So that, that's the really cool part of it. So minimum minimum of five in a unit, up to twenty. 
unless it's an individual character or a massive uh, thing. Uh, now, the, the best thing about these characters, they are not uh, one-man juggernauts. It's not Hero Hammer. Uh, General actually commands units, uh, which so uh, helps with uh, c- uh, commander morale checks, uh, champions get an extra kill, and they could also challenge uh, enemy officers and champions. And it actually feels like uh, they actually are what they are. You're paying for what they are. And the same thing goes with wizards. Spellcasters are powerful. They are expensive as hell, though. Uh, you can buy them in all levels. Now, and I figured it out, when you're actually building your army as an RPG, it does depend on how many specific places that a wizard can be or how big the wizard level can be. Uh, it, and some of the spells are pretty cool, <laughs> and they're pretty annoying, actually. Um, so spells can only be cast once per activation per spellcaster, uh, some spells can only be cast once and they can do some cool things. Uh, um, now monsters are huge. As I said, uh, there is an 800 point winged dragon, which, um, yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> um, and just to give you a bit of an idea, 3000 points, uh, between 2,500 to 3,000 points is what most people play. Uh, combat's fast, uh, which is really cool. That's, it, that's the thing. It is a, It does play fast for a mass battle uh, fantasy game. Uh, you can spare the clipping. Uh, so, uh, essentially, uh, when you get into combat, both combatants roll simultaneously of their own target number and remove casualties, and then you one or both units move away from each other. Combat can be very bloody. Uh, between unequal opponents, and you do get uh, bonuses for if you're as multiple in or if you're going for a flank or anything like that. Uh, you are always engaged. Uh, you There is never a lull moment. That's why if you need to go to the toilet, it is a timeout. You you can't just go, you do what you need to do, I've got to go to Lou. It is, we're both working at the same time, which is really, really cool. Um and it's, it doesn't stop until one of the armies either breaks or retreats or you hit turn. I think it's turn eight that we that we play to, depending on what scenario you're playing, by the way. Now, the, the rule book itself is extremely well laid out. Plenty of diagrams. So good. They've also got a website where you can get all your FAQs, which is fantastic. There is a two-page two, two spread of uh, basic how the game works and how, how you're meant to go. Uh, there are campaign. Uh, there's a campaign chapter to help you, you know, build your kingdom and then make it grow, make it shrink, uh, all of that cool stuff to increase the RPG narrative of the game. Uh, now, some people have found that a few of the important rules have been hidden away in weird locations. However, uh, you can buy this book digitally as well, and you can do it like you find. And away you go. And it does have a chapter area, so you can be able to find out. 192 or full color pages with lots of pictures, paintings, and drawings uh, in a hard cover. It's actually a really nice little book. Uh, in my opinion, though, it's a tad expensive for what it is. It's uh, in Australia, we're paying around $70 to $80 for it. Okay, we're used to Warhammer prices where if I want to go buy a Warhammer Fantasy, oh, so let's let's just go 120 bucks for the Warhammer 40k rule book. So it, it is cheaper. And yes, now you just reminded me of something very important. I'm going to take a drink real quick. 
because we're talking about prices and stuff like that. The biggest thing that anyone's going to need is what? Miniatures. Now, uh, this is where we get into that nice little debate. I know Jonathan's got a big thing about <laughs> 3D printing, and I'm going to make him hate me very, very, very soon, I think. Very, very soon. Now, uh, there is a line of Oathmark miniatures from North Northstar, and also uh, Fireforge Games are supplying fantasy miniatures for this as well. Uh now, the base sizes, this is where a lot of people get it thrown out. Uh, so, basic, basic base sizes is 25 to 25 mil square bases for infantry. And then the rest is as normal. So, your normal CAV, um, your CAV uh, 50-50 and your um, chariot bases that we're all used to in Warhammer. Now... Uh, the 25 to 25, though, uh, that is a bit bigger than the 20 mil that we're used to. And what we have done, and what what I've done for my local gaming group is, so people didn't have to rebase their miniatures. Now we we've been able to do this not only with square bases, but also with circular bases, where uh, there is a 3D base a units um, movement tray available on Thingiverse. Uh, which I will again link in the description for those who have 3D printers and want to do this. Uh, so they don't have to rebase their miniatures. They can just make these unit trays and away they go. I'm, so that's how I'm able to use a lot of my old Warhammer Fantasy mixed in with my Lord of the Rings miniatures without having to rebase them. So the re, uh, 20 mil uh, circular bases fit quite well on these things and they give the same unit footprint, which is the important part when it comes to this game. So, uh, just remember, unit frontage has to be a certain thing, 5, 3, or 1. And, yeah, and away you go. You don't need to worry about rebasing. You can use what you've got. You can buy new ones, or you can print your own, which I've seen a few people do, uh, especially when it comes to things like, say, catapults and that sort of thing. You can uh, definitely get into that sort of thing. Now, there's a few things that could be better with this game. Uh, I don't see that many. Uh, there is an errata list on the uh, player's Facebook page, and, and I believe there's... No, I'm lying to you. There is an official errata already up on uh, on Oath, for Oathmark that you can find online. Uh, it's been really well tested, and it's an expanding game. There's been so much coming out of it uh, for this online. Uh, there's a big community support for it, and I'm pretty sure we'll end up seeing at conventions as well to be played competitively. It does have that uh, that really awesome individual style that we could you be able to see at a convention. So in my utter opinion, I thoroughly, I thoroughly love it. There are three new books out at the moment, and yeah, that that's... We'd be, that's almost the my main hobby focus at the moment. Between that and Marlin's Tomb, they're the two things I've been focusing on. And as I said, I'm using a lot, and I mean a lot of my old fantasy minis into this. I've got an M, a whole bunch of Empire stuff that's going to be used for the uh, what do you call it for for the infantry and that sort of thing. 
one thing I am going to also be doing is uh, using, I have a bunch of Knights Templar Teutonic Knight miniatures that will be used as the uh, King's Guard, as I'm going to be calling them, or the uh, Le Royal Guard. <laughs> Oh, it sounds so poncy. But anyway, uh, so yeah, so that's everything on Oathmark at the moment that we've been talking about. And yeah, I I, th- I would recommend everybody get into it, have a bit of a go. It's, it's a really good game. And yes, so that's what I've been talking about with Oathmark. The next thing I'm going to go into now is what I've been doing uh, when it comes to 3D printing. Now, um... I've been dialing in my printer. I've updated it. As I think I mentioned last week, I added... Uh, so I have an uh, Creality Ender 5 Pro. I added a BL Touch auto-leveling uh, sort of probe. So what that does is... as So for those of you who don't know much about 3D printing, you, you've got to tram your bed or what they call level your bed. So it um, you know makes a level print. Duh, but anyway, I'm sorry. So with uh, with the Creality, uh, they have the you used to just use a bit of paper to level, but this little probe thing, what it does, it goes around, it measures where how the bed is, and then adjusts the Z up and down axis as you're printing to make sure that it remains perfectly level. It's really good if you have a warped bed. It does happen. Uh, people do get warped beds from time to time. Uh, so. We, well, after doing that, some test prints, I'm actually just finished a stage one of a stage five print. Uh, this, when, when I say stage, the first stage went for a day and seven hours uh, where it was consistently printing. So I'm going to give a shout out now to Dark Realms, uh, which uh, they're a 3D print uh, uh, group, not a group, uh, it's a uh, company that you can uh, find their things on uh, myminifactory.com. Again, the link will be in the show notes. Uh, where I, I had a look at seeing what they had, and I, I wanted to get some really nice old fantasy buildings, not just for for Oathmark, <laughs> uh, but for also for D&D. And I found this one. It's House One of the Denizens of Fantasy. It is a three-story... Uh, it, it, uh, sort of tavern house sort of thing. That's what I... It looks like a tavern house. It's got... So the bottom layer is more like, in my opinion, it'd be like a servant sort of quarters. And you'll have the family in the top, the other two. It's a pretty cool model. Uh, so as I said, I only just finished stage one. Uh, stage two, I'm about to change... So after I finish this recording, actually, I'm going to be going over to the printer, changing the uh, filament because uh, I'm very low on the other one. And because it's going to be a large print, I don't want to uh, risk losing anything. And essentially, yeah, get the next stage printing and get it, get it done. I want to see if I can get this finished by the end of the weekend, which will be good. Uh, the... And so far, the prints come out really nice. I'm actually really impressed with this particular thing on an FDM printer. There's some pretty cool things that come out of it. Uh, so, yeah, so that's been done. And I've also been printing a modular river piece, which I have purchased from printableterrain.com. Uh, again, they're really good people there. Uh, they've got a lot of things going on over there. And one thing I will get into with them, because they've got this new thing coming out, so... I will go to it and I'll actually talk about it. I wasn't going to talk about it, but I'm going to. 
Now, where are we? Oh, I'm on their website now. Looking down, looking down, looking down. Uh, Alright. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Oh, yeah, Kickstarters. Oh, it's not there. Why oh, I can't find it. Uh, you know what? I think I must have missed it. I think that they had a... Um, Essentially, it was a create your own uh, STL thing, like Hero Forge, but for uh, terrain. And again, I'll just go go visit Printable Scenery. I, I quite like all their stuff. They're not paying me to say any of this. I print off a bit of their stuff a lot. And again, this is legal because you're paying for it, and you know, it it's creating another wargaming community it's not taking money away from anyone it's actually creating a really nice little thing and again once you buy the file you can create as many as you want for your own personal use that's the best thing about it so the so once i finish the house the next uh project i will be doing is a ship that will be for this first part of my of the DD campaign i'll be running next year so doing a lot of uh D prints uh which again that's the part of the pro process that i quite like for myself uh, it's nice being able to create at home without having to uh go like for me i live in a rural area we have a friendly gaming store but they don't have a lot of the things that that you know like lots of terrain that but they're this is where 3D printing within its own community becomes a fantastic sort of thing where you can print things in your own home, your your own uh, maker. Um, you can even get into creating your own STL files as well. So uh, I encourage it. I encourage it. I know John doesn't agree with me on that one, but I do. I do. So whether you're playing fantasy wargaming or you're 3D printing terrain for that fantasy war game, you've got to remember one thing, that you have to, you need to, you've got to keep on gaming. Are you always on the go? Why not take Wargaming Recon with you? If you use an app like Pocket Casts, you can listen to your favorite episodes of Wargaming Recon on your mobile device. This recording is released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. Many thanks to Andrew and Court for inspiring the show's name. Wargaming Recon is dedicated to the memory of longtime listener Andrew. I ask all listeners to join me in a moment of silence in memory of Andrew. Thank you to everyone who backed our 2021 podcast season on Kickstarter. In particular, we'd like to thank 3DDZYN at 3DDesign.com, Nate Taylor of Dwarven Forge, and Things from the Basement, where you can get highly detailed laser cut terrain kits for 28, 20, and 15mm figures and other exciting products. We couldn't have been successful without the help of all of you. Thank you so much for your support and being part of our community. We hope you are enjoying the 2021 season.